Hi, this is Danielle Krissa from The Jealous Curator, and this is episode 215 of Art for Your Year. Today's episode is once again supported by Storyblocks. I've said it before, and I will say it again. It is like an online treasure trove of media over there. Photos and music and videos. Oh my. (laughs) I couldn't resist. Storyblocks makes it possible for creators to keep up with the growing demands for modern video content so that we can bring all of our stories to life without being stopped by the time, high costs, and gear required to shoot original content. Storyblocks has affordable subscriptions, unlimited downloads, and inclusive content. To learn more about Storyblocks, visit them at storyblocks.com slash A-F-Y-E. That's A-F-Y-E as in art for your ear. So you might know today's guest as Mad Brooklyn, but now she lives in Arizona. So maybe I should introduce her as Mad Tucson. How about I just use her actual name? Okay, yes. Jacqueline Say is on the podcast. I've loved her insanely gorgeous porcelain desserts for years, but look closely because there's always something a little sinister going on in those tarts, cakes, and ice cream cones. We're going to get into the why and how behind all of her creations, and we're going to do it from a hotel room in Portland. Yep, when we, we recorded this, Jacqueline and her faithful anxious Frenchie Skyler were in Portland to install her most recent show. It's titled My Candy Nightmares, and it's at Talon Gallery until November 14th, but I'm getting ahead of myself. How about we find out if she was an artsy kid first? Here we go, calling Jacqueline and Skyler in Portland. Hi, Jacqueline. Welcome to Art for Your Ear. Hi, Danielle. I am so excited. You have no idea. I'm like having a fangirl moment right now. I'm like, I'm like so many emotions. It's insane. I've been listening to you for, was it since 2015? Probably. Yeah. I think it's been like, like six years now that I've had this. Yeah. So I guess I started listening to you in the early days for you, um, I remember my studio mate, shout out to Kimberly. Um, she was the one who told me about you. I didn't know anything about podcasts. And she's like, me either. Have you listened to The Jealous Curator? You have to listen to this. And I remember like immediately just binging so many episodes <laughs> the second she told me that day in the studio. And I just had my headphones in continuously. And it was just like, I, I never stopped listening to you. It was just like. Um, well, I was like, when I messaged you the other day to see if you want to do this, I was like, surely I've asked her to do this before. Have I not asked you to do this? I don't think so. That seems crazy to me because I don't know how or when I found your work, but I was like instantly in love. Uh, porcelain and desserts and weirdness. Oh. Like cute and creepy are my <laughs> are my uh, a top fave combo of mine, and yeah. um, just like your details, exquisite, and I was instantly in love. And like I don't understand how it's taken me like a couple of years to now have you on, but here you are, and Aww. you're not alone. You've I got we've got a we've got a guest um, on your lap there. We have a guest today. We have Frenchie Skyler White. Oh my god. If you want to see more pictures of her at Frenchie Skylar White, you can <laughs> do a shameless plug for my dog. Um, yeah, Skylar is my Frenchie. Oh, she's so cute. I can't even stand it. 
Oh my God. And she needs to be on my lap at all times. So here she is on the Jealous Curated Podcast. I should have gotten her little headphones. <laughs> God. How do you, does she have to be with you when you're working? I mean, she is usually in the studio with me. Um, yeah. I have like a bed set up or she is like in the backyard and I can see her through the window. Yeah. She's just like napping in the sun, but she knows I'm there. So she just needs to exactly know. She needs to have like, I like in like eyesight like, yeah within, within Fair enough. kind of like or else she's gonna go barking like crazy thinking mm-hmm. where's my mommy where's my mommy she's ridiculously cute and I can just see her little ears poking oh there she is okay yeah 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 oh my god I love her okay um <laughs> so if you've listened to the podcast then you know where I begin I want to know what you were like as a kid where you grew up and if you were making creepy weird things back then too no, we both have a sip. You have your tea. I've got my coffee. Yes, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 9 a.m. record. Green, green tea boost. <laughs> I've got my Ooh. caffeine coffee boost. <sighs> okay. okay, well, actually, wait. Yes. We should say first, before we talk about your childhood, that you're not yes. actually home right now. You're in Portland because... Correct. This I am is going to be... Yeah, this is going to come out after the show is already up and underway. But you are setting up um, your show today... At, Today? Yes. yes, because it yes, opens today. tomorrow. Okay, so yes. It opens, yes. Preview opens tomorrow. So today I'm setting up my show at Talon Gallery in Portland, Oregon. Um, so I drove all my work up here from Arizona. I was I was firing up till, like, I drove, like, Sunday. No, I drove Monday at noon. That's when I left the house. And no joke, I took the last piece out of my kiln. Sunday, the second it was cool enough to touch, maybe around like 11 a.m. or something. Oh it's like I was working it down to the wire. I was timing, I was doing all my killing math, figuring out like how many hours I need to wait before it's like cool enough to touch. Okay, I can open it, I can take it out and then pop something else in. It was nuts. Anyway, oh so yes, gosh. I am in Portland right now, about to go install my show at Talent Gallery. Um, I went to check out the space yesterday already at um, so excited. This is my second solo show with them. However, the first one was last year during the pandemic, like at the height of it. So I did not get to come out. I just shipped everything over. I mean, Neil and Susanna at the gallery, they did a wonderful job installing my show last year. And I was so sad I could not be here. Yeah. But it's okay. We're here now. Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad. I'm so glad that you're there. And um, yeah, it would be weird not to have your hands on this stuff and install it. And yeah. And they did such an amazing job. Yeah, that's good. I mean, I was like, I was so happy. I, I was more than, it was more than, I feel like it was better than what I would have done. So actually it worked out. Good. But this time you get to go. Skylar gets to come. Yes. She already checked out the gallery yesterday. I did, I did do a post of her napping on uh, one of the um, furniture blankets. That oh, I her <laughs> she's, napping awesome. in, she's napping in the gallery while, you know, we were all working. So I take that she approves it. Otherwise, she'd be barking and upset. So she's got to be like, this space works for me. Totally. She <laughs> she gave it her paw of approval. Oh, good. Sure. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, okay, so now we can talk about the fact, okay, where you grew up. 
Yes. Yes. So I grew up in British Hong Kong. I was actually born in California, but my family moved back to Hong Kong when I was one years old. So mm. I don't really remember much of, you know, being born in California except seeing the pictures. Um, so I grew up in Hong Kong um, for my entire childhood. I, um, so I was there from 85 to 96. So I had, you know, my entire childhood, I was just really exposed to growing up in the city, mm-hmm. having access to, you know, all the like different Asian cultures, like being in Hong Kong, you're exposed to like Chinese culture, Japanese culture, Korean culture, like all these different types of foods. Um, it was really amazing growing up in Hong Kong. I mean, I have the best memories. I like really miss Hong Kong right now. I like really want to go back. I usually go back every couple of years, but we'll see when I'll be get out there yeah. next time. Um, I mean, I would love to eventually do a show. I was just going to say, Kong. have you ever shown there? I have not. I mean, any galleries listening in Hong Kong, please let me know. I would love to do a show. So. <laughs> oh, that would be amazing there. I bet people would love your work. I hope so. I hope so. I mean, I would love, I really want to show my work in either Hong Kong, Korea or Japan. So yeah. Oh my God. One day that, that is, that is, that is on my dream radar. Okay. So when you were little and growing up in Hong Kong, did you, uh, were you making stuff? Like, did you, like, did you love art? Did you want to go to the art galleries? Did you take classes? What was it like? Yes. I, I was obsessed with making stuff. Like I, I guess it was more on like the craft side. My mother was also like really supportive of my creativity as a child. So she, um, she enrolled me in, you know, Chinese calligraphy classes. And I, so I did all of that, like the fan paintings, like the, 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 yeah, the Chinese fan paintings of the scenic. Yeah. It's like, I, I really loved it. And like most of all, I did a lot of those tiny Japanese paper clay things. I was just always in the Japanese supermarket, Japanese supermarket or store because they're yeah. all connected. It's like one big department store that, you know, you can buy food and you can buy like craft supplies. So I really grew up having access to all this really cool Japanese clay, the tools, it was like, I am just always making things. It was, you know, my, and my do favorite pastime. Do you have siblings? I do. I have an older sister. She's two years older. Um, and, and was she, she crafty or were you the... She is, she's not crafty at all. I think, I think there might be times I actually helped her with some of her art homework too, I think. <laughs> isn't that so funny in like one family where like the kids are so different yeah yeah my sister and I are very different she is like very she's very business oriented Mm -hmm. she helps me out a lot because she works in digital marketing so sometimes ask her what she thinks about this or that so my sister's a lawyer so that oh perfect yeah that explains like the difference in us as well (laughs) I was like the craft (laughs) kid and she was watching um when she was six she came home and watched the election results um for our prime minister election like (laughs) my my mom couldn't get her off the tv because she wanted to be watching the election results roll in 
That is adorable. Yeah. So, you know, election results. Yeah. It's like same parents, same house, same everything, but very different children. So, okay. So you're painting on fans. Your sister's developing business plans for you. Um, okay. So <laughs> did you come back to California after that or when did you? Yes. So I moved back to California in 1996. So just a year before the British turnover back to China. Oh. Um, so I had like a half and half upbringing like America and and Hong Kong because that was I can't do math right now but I think I was like 11 or 12. Yeah um, was it a shock to come back to California or was it? Yes it was a huge shock because in in Hong Kong you know I went to a Catholic all-girls school I had my plaid uniform like like going from an all-girls school where you have to you know be a certain way and then coming to America where you can just show up to school you can wear whatever you want <laughs> like I feel like there are like no rules it was and did you like that system. or were you like where's my uniform oh no I I loved it I mean growing up in Hong Kong I always like knew I was American and I was like obsessed with all the tv shows like I, I like I would just watch full house on <laughs> It was the Star Network in Hong Kong, like the international like channels. I watched so much American TV. Like I was obsessed with Mary Kate and Ashley Olsen. Like it was, it was like that time. What about Nine Hundred Two One Zero? I didn't watch that because I think I was a little too young. Yeah, yeah, I was gonna say to get into that. So I was like the Full House generation. That Got was it. My age group. Um. So, so yeah, like I always like being in Hong Kong, I was always obsessed with American culture and we, we would come to the U S to visit, you know, family and relatives pretty frequently too. So I kind of, you know, had like every time I would come to the U S like I would just buy all this candy. Like my favorite thing (laughs) was to like find there's these, the packaged cotton candy was one of my favorite things. So I, I feel like every time I'm on U.S. soil, like that's like, that's what I was looking <laughs> packaged cotton candy. Oh my God. And then I remember my grandma from California would send me like, like fun size Snickers. So sometimes like during Halloween in Hong Kong, like I would just get these like cute packages. <laughs> that's what I remember, the fun size sticker that's so funny well in Canada we we now get pretty much all American candy too but back in the day you didn't get like we we didn't have all the American candy so um I live where I grew up now I've moved back but um the U.S. border is only about 45 minutes away so every now and then we'd go down with friends friends um Tama Bell's parents would take us and we'd cross the line into Washington <laughs> and we'd go to Princes of Orville. It was this like department store and just go straight to the candy. And I, wow. the, the exciting thing was the whatchamacallit chocolate bars. That's what they were called. Oh, I, don't, I don't, I don't know those. They still exist. You can find them right now at 7-Eleven. Whatchamacallit. Oh, and that my was gosh. like very exciting because we'd never even seen them. So we would hoard all of that stuff and then come back across yeah. with our with our um, American candy. So when I first started traveling a ton, I would always buy it. You still can find weird things in the States that you can't find here. So that's what I would always buy my son. Every time I traveled for Jealous Curator, I'd come home with weird American candy. Oh my gosh. It still continues. 
This just reminds me, was it what I forgot which episode? Was it the Andy J pizza episode where you had the pizza chips? Yes. <laughs> and you shipped you each other pizza chips or something? Well, yes, we and have you ate it on the air. Yes. <laughs> I just like remember that and I'm like oh my gosh maybe I'm just throwing it out there Danielle if you want to like we can ship each other snacks and we can do a special jealous curator snack tasting episode we should have done that with you with all of your sweet I mean there's there's still time it's okay and we could even make it ASMR if we can get (laughs) a microphone sponsor somewhere so there you go always microphone companies please send us microphones so we can have a snack off yeah on the air and hong kong galleries give her a solo show (laughs) shame shameless plugs here shameless Um, shameless that's what this is for when you have your own podcast it's all about the shameless plugs excellent um okay so you're back in california you're 12 now yeah this stage are you thinking you're going to be an artist when you grow up or what are you thinking I, you know, I never, honestly, that did not cross my mind until I think I was in my late twenties, but I was just really creative. Like I did art throughout my entire schooling, um, up, you know, from junior high to college, Mm -hmm. but like, I, it just never occurred to me that I would do this at all I just liked doing kind of crafts so I took all the classes in school I took I for sure took ceramics and I took wood shop I took you know I took and I also took home economics in that's what in California we do that so there's like cooking and baking class yeah we do that too I took all of that so like I I think I never I, I honestly didn't didn't even think about it as a kid I just knew I wanted to do art, but I never thought that I could. I never thought that I was an artist. I still remember there are times where my sister was like, this is my little sister and she's an artist. And I'm like, hmm. oh, wow, I am? Like, uh, I, so I, like I, I don't know. I don't know what, what's inside my brain. That's just kind of like, oh yeah, I like to do this, but never really thought about it. As that, so many people say that, you know, I was the exact same way. I, I, if I was awake, I was making stuff pretty much, but it just never, I don't know. It seemed, I think what it is, is that I'm going to get really deep here now. I think that it's sort of society (laughs) puts it on you that it's not a responsible choice to decide to be an artist. It's, it's in TV, it's in movies. It's uh, you, you hear people saying it. So you just put it in your mind as, Oh, it's just a fun hobby that I like to do, but I wouldn't, this is not going to be my identity. And I think it's not till you're older that you sort of, I mean, there are some people who are born going, I'm going to be an artist when I grow up, but so many people I've talked to have said the exact same thing. It just didn't occur to them. They knew that they loved it at the core of them, but it just didn't occur to them that it could be their life. I think you're, yeah, you're so right about that. I mean, I'm always a very practical person and I, you know, want to work and yeah. be able to feed myself yes and I have a place to live so it totally makes sense yeah yeah so I know from reading your bio that you wound up in fashion and stuff so so Correct. okay you're making all which I did not know clearly I'd never read your bio before so <laughs> so you're yeah so how did that happen like I guess you really liked home ec 
I, I mean, I, I've, al- I've always been baking. I have always just, you know, yeah, I really liked home ec. Um, but yeah, I worked in fashion because I actually went to New York University, actually entered university at NYU as a hotel and hospitality management major. <laughs> and I kid you not, the first year, one of the first classes I had, it was, you know, back then when they were still using the slides, the, yeah. you know, the acetate. And I remember the professor had on the, on the, on the, um, on the machine projecting, and it was just like a graphic of like, here are the modes of transportation for travel and tourism, cruise ship, airplanes, <laughs> buses. And I'm sitting here thinking, okay, this is the year 2002. Do you really need to have a slide telling us the modes of transportation? I'm like, <laughs> this, this is just whack. Like, I'm like, I'm sorry, this is not for me. And no joke, like, I feel like weeks within school, I just took the liberty and I just went on because it was like an online enrolling system for, you know, course enrollment. Yeah. I just went in. I didn't even like I didn't even care about getting permission. I just delete, 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 delete all the classes I was supposed to take for the like the business course. And I just added in like I think I added in like ceramics, draw. I just I just threw in all these art classes in there because the computer let me do it. So I just did it. And then all of a sudden, like I like I just switched classes. And then eventually they figured it out and they were like, um, we noticed that you dropped all these classes and you're taking all these art classes. Um, we don't know that you can do that if you want to graduate with this like hospitality business degree and I was like yeah you're right I don't want to do that anymore and so and so I formally applied into the art program and switched the second year oh, oh my god hilarious now what did your family think of that my mom is so supportive oh good and this it's amazing I mean I feel like my was it my second or third year in college and my mom was just like why don't you just drop out and just like go to fully oh at the time I wanted to go into fashion she was like oh just drop out of NYU and go to FIT or something and I was like no 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 I'm almost done with NYU I'm just gonna stick with you know the art program so I feel like I I sort of bounced in between like I just loved fashion and I loved art I loved making things but I was having a really hard time kind of figuring out you know, what to do. And I was just kind of um, lost in a way. I mean, when you're so young going to school, I think yeah, you're still learning about yourself and you, di- you don't really know how to get there. And it, you know, it took me a while. So, I mean, I stuck with the, the art program because I really loved making stuff. So it's just like, I did metal smithing, I did wood shop, I was welding, like I did, NYU has a great art program. So I was able to do a lot of those things, but it was just the mindset of, oh, I think when I graduate, I don't think I have that voice that I know what I want to say in my artwork. Right. So I just, it never occurred to me that, hey, I could build a career saying things in my sculpture because I just thought all right I need to like the second I graduate I need to start making money 
So since I took metal smithing and there was a jewelry making class, I took jewelry making and I decided, hey, I want to be a jewelry designer because this is a design career. You can make money and it's a real job. So I will segue into that path and see what happens. So that's how I became a jewelry designer. I mean, I had a year in between graduation and actually landing my first design job where I was kind of like unsure that I was confident enough to be able to get into that world. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was working at an agency that represent photographers. So I was an assistant helping out with the production of photo shoots and stuff. Mm-hmm. In New York? Did you stay in New York when you graduated? Yeah, I stayed in New York. So I did that in New York because I also thought "Hmm, maybe I could become a stylist or something because I'm good with working with stuff. But so, you know, there were there were a lot of things going on in my brain, being unsure and, you know, trying to make money, trying to pay rent. I was still, you know, getting support from my family because there is no way anyone coming out of college can survive in New York City with the salary that they're paying people. Yeah, so, yeah. so that was also really tough. Like I had a lot of pressure on me to be able to financially support myself. So that had a huge part in veering, like for me to veer into the design direction. Mm-hmm. How did you get that first um, job? So a friend of mine from school, her sister, Joanne, worked at Liz Claiborne as a jewelry designer and I I met with her and she gave me some advice and I put together a portfolio and I went on to work for a smaller jewelry design company named Lydell NYC. I'm not sure if they're still around, but they were designing for, you know, anthropology. I don't know, does BB still exist, that clothing company? Oh, yeah, yeah. Guess, guess jeans, they designed for them, Express. I mean, like, wow. so it was like a small showroom, um, but they were designing for a lot of powerhouse brands. So I somehow put together this portfolio and <laughs> got this job. And that's how it sort of started. So I think I, I forgot how long I worked there for. And, and then I put together a better portfolio. And then I ended up working at well, back then it was called this Playborn is the umbrella company, but I worked for Monet, um, Monet, the jewelry, the classic yeah. jewelry brand for a very long time. And I just like, that's how I kind of got into those department store jewelry brands. And I just wow. kind of moved from company to company. I mean, I moved from, so yeah, I went from Monet to Nine Nine West, I was designing for Nine West, and then um, I. But the last company I worked at was Avon. Oh, and I know you have some Avon connection. Yeah, I do. Yourself, you have. Did you see your grandmother had an Avon room? Well, she was an Avon lady. She did the door to door Avon thing in like the fifties or something, fifties or sixties. And uh, yeah, so she had a little Avon room where all the unsold stuff went. And so my sister oh. and I would just go in there, and it smelled like lipstick and powder and perfume. And you know, Avon had all the crazy jars and stuff with all like like girls and frogs and turtles and so we just thought it was like heaven (laughs) (laughs) that's That's so cute yeah so were you in new york for all of that 
I was in New York for all of this. So I moved to New York in 2002 for NYU and I just ended up staying. I just got sucked in <laughs> to like the speed of the city, like all this stuff to do. Like I remember in like in the beginning of my career, like this is in your 20s when you are still, you know, you got so much energy. <laughs> I would go, I would go out and party at clubs on like a Tuesday or a Wednesday night. And no joke, just like go home and change and show up to work. I'm like sitting at my desk on my drawing table, like sketching jewelry design at like <laughs> eight or 9 a.m. And like, like either, I probably either slept an hour or two or some days I haven't slept at all. And I was like drinking and partying all night. Good times. <laughs> like, uh, Good like times. Uh, it was like that. And it was, it was great. I mean, I don't drink anymore. I think my body became allergic to alcohol, <laughs> I think in my, like a few years after that or something. <laughs> and so, I mean, I never had a high tolerance to begin with, but like a few do, years- Do you get the Asian flush? Like, I get the Asian flush. And then yeah. eventually I started getting like, I just break out in hives. So my oh body my. is just like, stop doing this. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I was never, I never drank a lot. I just, your, like, your body was like, food. look, like, you had enough fun for like 12 people. Just stop it. <laughs> Just stay home nope. with Skylar and don't go anywhere. No more dancing on nightclub tables. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, not a big partier at all. I just have a tiny, tiny, tiny party phase. That's a fun phase. And if you're going to do it, it anywhere, New York is a pretty great place to do it. It was a very, very fun, fun phase. Yeah, no kidding. Okay, so. now during all of this, because I know I was working as a designer, uh, a graphic designer in Toronto through my yeah. 20s, and you're so, it's so go, 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 like work is so demanding, then your evenings are filled with going out and whatever. So during this time, were you making anything of your own, or was all of your creative energy going into your work? Every single ounce of energy that I had, creative energy, went into designing yeah. for these companies. Yeah. So I had barely any time to do my own work. So were you I missing it? Like, were you? I missed it. I missed it a lot, but I feel like my brain was so sucked into kind of this like hamster wheel of the fashion industry that I didn't have access to that part of my brain. And I just, I think I also got too sucked into the New York culture that I'm just like, ooh, I'm making money. I'm making good money. I'm going to make more money. I'm going to make more right, money, right, right. that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. So I was sucked into that. Did your parents that. ask you about it? Did your mom ask you, like, why aren't you making? Or did she? Or did she? No, I think maybe because my job is a designer. Yeah. I think it's kind of implied that my creativity was fulfilled through these paying gigs. Right. Because my, my my parents, my dad actually, who's a scientist, but my dad said, um, are you still making your own stuff? And I was Aww. like, I, I said, I'm being, I was very defensive because I also had the added, like I quit after art school because of that terrible prof telling me that I should never mm. paint again. And so I had like this mental block that I couldn't make art. So I just threw myself all of me into being a designer because I believed I couldn't be an artist. So I just threw myself and but my dad was the one like through my childhood that was always buying me the craft books and making sure I was stocked up with supplies. And so he said at one point, called me in Toronto and he's like, are you 
making stuff? And I was like, I make stuff every day. I was like super defensive, <laughs> a little too defensive. I make stuff every day at work. I'm being creative every day. He's like, yes, I know. But like, are you using your hands? Like, are you, oh, it's, I don't have time right now. And, uh, but it was completely true, right? It was like, I, and if I let myself think about it, I think if I let myself think about it, I'd feel sad. So I didn't let myself think about it, you know, but it is so true. So many people I talk to that are artists now that worked as designers or whatever you do, you put all of your creativity into that. And you're so tired when you come home that the last thing you have time for is thinking creatively on another level, you know? Totally. Yeah. Okay. So what happened? Like how, how did you... Well, it's an external factor, but the best one ever. So Avon was, I mean, Avon was the most fun I have ever had at like in a design job. I mean, I was heading up the jewelry and watches division in design for North America. Oh my And I had a $30,000 sample budget. And every year I would travel to Europe twice a year and just buy samples. So I would buy, buy, I would go to Paris and London and the third European city of, you know, our choice um, twice a year to just do trend research. And it was oh just amazing. I mean, I did that in Nine West also. Like I traveled with the creative director to Paris and they were just buy, buy, buying all the samples. And it was super fun. I mean, I really loved it. And so, um, yeah, back back to Avon. Avon was just like, I got to design for Paula Abdul had a line. And I, like, got to meet Paula Abdul and spend oh time God. with her. And I had her cell phone number. Like, I mean, like, she would, she would show up to, like, I would be in the bathroom washing my hands before the meeting and she would show up and she would just come. I'm like, who's hugging me? I turn around. Paula Abdul is oh hugging my God. me at, from the back in the Avon bathroom. Like, crazy, crazy stuff. I mean, I, like, didn't want to leave this job. It was so great. And, and on top of that, like, we would, like, another really amazing person I got to met was Maya Angelou because they were talking about, oh, let's, we might be doing collaboration with Maya Angelou. So me and my colleagues and manager flew down to, was it North Carolina where her house was? We flew down to her house and I oh, sat my- and hung out with Maya Angelou in her home, had a t- private tour of her sculpture garden. And she like, she like sang to me her poetry and like she asked me to teach her Chinese and it was just like crazy. I mean, this job this was sounds so like This sounds like you're telling me a, a super weird dream that you had. Oh yeah, it was totally a super weird dream. I mean, I loved, like that's how, like I loved this job so much. But then a few years in, they were restructuring and they decided to get rid of the entire design team. So all the designers got let go. Oh my God. And it was, I mean, I think I had a year before that restructuring happened, they were already laying off like different levels of designers. So at that time I was kind of like, Hmm, like, (laughs) I mean, we, I mean, this, this is too good to be true. Like, 
this this type of work like I don't think this is going to last forever but I don't want to quit now and try to do something else because I don't I don't know if I'm emotionally or financially ready for that so when that happened I think was it 2015 I think it was March 2015 when this happened when I was let go and they gave me six months of severance and I thought to myself here is my chance I have been given six months of just you can do whatever I mean I could find another the design job and kind of just save up all that money but I was like nope I think this is the time this is the universe is sending me a message hey Jacqueline you need a break from designing for companies and just figure your shit out as a creative person wow so that's that's what I did in those six months and I I mean, I, I had design jobs here and there, but um, the first thing I did was, okay, what do I want to make? And I, it's just so random, just had this idea that, oh, I really like fetus skulls, like the shape <laughs> of fetus skulls. And wouldn't it be great if I made this into a candle that is aromatherapy, that is like calming, because all this skull stuff out there are always really scary looking and kind of like menacing. And I just like felt like I gotta change, I gotta change the viewpoint on skulls. Like that was that was my agenda <laughs> was to change kind of this like the look of skulls to be not like dark and morbid, but more peaceful and relaxing because you know death is you know peace and like I think that's that's the first project I you know I molded I molded a feed a it was not a real fetus skull don't worry (laughs) I I purchased a, a vintage German medical model yeah in plastic off eBay and I just like became obsessed with how to figure out molding this this thing with all these crevices so okay hold on a second (laughs) how do you go from being in Paris with Avon to being like baby skulls are you one of the like do you have you always like liked skulls like has that like been a thing or like where did this come from oh my gosh it's so crazy because I don't I don't even I feel like I I like the skulls I never really wore a lot of skulls either I think because it just looked too dark and I'm not I mean I I I mean I am a dark person because my work deals with addiction (laughs) and stuff but I I'm also a very upbeat person so I just feel like that part visually in the design world doesn't really exist right and so I just like I'm like I really love love the visual form of skulls but I'm like nobody's doing it the way I want to work like all right I feel like that's how I kind of fell into it it's not like oh my gosh I was like devil worshiping or anything like that (laughs) (laughs) but you know what I mean like there's some people who love like the day of the dead stuff or yeah you know whatever but it's like so had that been percolating or was that like a like I just I'm trying to figure out how that became your first thought did you wake up one morning and go got it I 
I mean, the current body of work I have with the with the sugar and the sugar addiction mixed with the skulls, that was literally, that literally came to me in a dream. Like visually, the way those white sculptures came about, yeah. that vision did come in my dream specifically. But the first, the initial, like starting to work with skulls, it just like came out of nowhere. Wow. Like it wasn't like. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Because that happens to me all the time. Actually, I think in that episode with Andy, with the chips, I had said something about, like, I'll just get a picture in my head. And sometimes they're out of nowhere. And it's like, I just have to go make that thing. And I was saying it as in, that happens to everyone. And Andy was like, that has literally never happened to me. He's like, I don't know what you're talking about. And I was like, oh, (laughs) I just thought that happened to everybody. And clearly it happened to you. And it was a baby skull. Okay. It was a baby skull. So did did you make it a candle then? Did you make it an aromatherapy? I did. I had, I mean, because of my design background, I thought, hey, I'm going to start a line of aromatherapy candles. And I did that at craft fairs for like a good few years. Oh, Um, so I I had produced that's how the the name my Instagram handle Matt Brooklyn came about was because I had given that brand this name Matt okay. Brooklyn. Okay, that was one of my other questions. Okay, oh, yes, yeah, because <laughs> I was living in Brooklyn and I just loved that kind of like vibe creatively, the Brooklyn vibe, and I came up with the name Mad because of that one Jack Kerouac quote from on the road which spoiler alert I never read that book but (laughs) I just really liked that quote about like you know like the only people for me are the mad ones the ones that are mad to be I might get the order mixed up here like mad to be loved mad to be saved like Mm. like burning like roman candles shooting across the stars something I mean Mm. this this is probably not verbatim, but kind of that's the idea. The gist, yeah. Like the gist of it is that like passion and extremes. And I thought, hey, this really embodied who I am as a person because I don't do anything half-ass, you know? I just, I'm either like go all the way or I'm just like, all right, whatever. Like (laughs) super chill, no. So I'm like, okay, I'll call it Mad Brooklyn because I'm just like really into this visual culture. And that's kind of how that was born. Okay, now where where did, okay, so when did the dream happen? When did the white porcelain dream happen? I think the white porcelain dream happened in 2007. So I guess oh. that's two, like, like about two... I'm trying to do math. Yeah. About two, two-ish years into me trying to do this candle thing. Oh, so 2017. I'm sorry, 2017. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. 2017. Um, so because when I was making the candles, a lot of the customers at the craft shows were like, oh, this is so precious. This candle has so much detail. I really don't want to burn it. And nobody was burning these candles. They were buying it and nobody was burning them. And I'm thinking well, what can I do? And I'm like, oh, I know I can make these candles and like, oh, I can cast them in a porcelain shell and I just pour the wax inside. So that's when I was like, okay, where can I do ceramics in Brooklyn? And I started and I joined these um, studios so I don't have to figure out the equipment and stuff like that. Right. 
So that's my first foray back into ceramics since I graduated NYU in 2006. So I had a huge hiatus with clay. And did it feel so good to get back to it? It was like no time passed. Wow. Like, because ceramics was my number one favorite medium in school. And it's just, it was just technicality. I couldn't do it once I graduated. So that's how it was cut off. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's how I kind of got back into ceramics is thinking that I was going to make these candles. And then eventually somehow it came to me in a dream and I was like, I got to make all these molds of skulls and sweeps and put it all together. Oh my God. And then the second I had that dream, I was like making, making, making molds like crazy. Oh my gosh. And so I haven't stopped. Yeah, no kidding. Okay. And so what did you just say? You said something about like the addiction thing like this, the, yeah. Yeah. So that actually the addiction started when I was, I think, I think it happened during my Avon working days. So somewhere in between like the 2010 to 2015, I got really into baking (laughs) as a stress relief I mean, I guess maybe that's why everyone's pandemic baking because it's really therapeutic. Yeah. So I, I, I was on Instagram and Pinterest a lot at work just, you know, for inspiration. And at the same time, like that was the place where the, all the food porn started coming up. So I was addicted to Pinterest and Instagram and looking at all these really amazingly beautiful photos of desserts. And so like on the weekends for my stressful job, I'm like, I'm going to bake. I'm going to tackle all this stuff. And I would just bake up a store every weekend. And so obviously my colleagues loved me because I'm always bringing in cupcakes, (laughs) cookies, muffins, cakes, like all the time. So that's kind of how it started was just like this, I I hate to use this word, but it's sort of an eating disorder that just kind of like I was stress eating Mm, to kind of manage my feelings. So the stress eating became a sugar addiction. And it's just once you get sugar in your body, it just keeps, you know, telling your brain, you need more, you need more because scientists have figured out the part of your brain that lights up when you're eating sugar is the same as like a heroin addict which is really scary so it is so true I have really bad arthritis and I can't eat sugar (gasps) and well I can eat sugar but terrible things happen my my I just can't even bend my hands so if I know that like I want to use my scissors and like be in the studio I know I can't eat any like I don't even put sugar in my coffee anymore. I have to use honey and stuff. Um, but I, when I was trying to get off of sugar, it was like, I mean, I've never had to come off of heroin, knock on wood, but um, <laughs> it was right. really hard. Like I remember on day five of the no sugar, like I even stopped eating like ketchup, like anything that had sugar wow. in it, I cut out. Just, I wanted to see if it would work, right? If it would help my joints. It did, but I remember waking up in the like four in the morning and wanting to go to McDonald's. So I hadn't eaten McDonald's in years. And 
is all I could think about because I found out later there's sugar in the buns. There's sugar. It, like they put sugar in so much of it so that it is addictive. And, um, I was like, I could drive there. There was a 24 hour McDonald's just down the road from our house. I was like, I could drive there, eat all the stuff in the car. And Greg and Charlie would never even know. <gasps> like I felt like a crazy person. And then a couple of days, like, I think what's it like two weeks, they say to break a habit or something or anyway. And then all of a sudden it was fine. But trying to get off of sugar was insane. Yeah. I mean, that's how it kind of happened because like, while I was working at Avon, I realized that I need to stop eating sugar. And I did experiment with a lot of the sugar-free baking. I did like the paleo whole yes, diet. Yeah, that's what I did. Like, I would swing back and forth. Like I would go crazy on these like elimination diets. And then the second I get out of it, I'm sitting there with a whole chocolate cake, like <laughs> stuffing my face. And I'm like, this is a problem. This is, this is this is not okay. <laughs> and I think that's why I had that dream is when I was really exhausted from swinging back and forth on mm. these diets. And like subconsciously, my brain was sending me a message and I'm like, oh my God, that is what I have to say. That is what I have to say to the world. Like I got to put this in an art form. And so what was the first thing that you did? Was it one of the, the mason jars or what was it? No, the first, the first piece I've ever made, which I still have is a little ice cream cone, um, with a Siamese skull as the ice cream piece yeah. on top of it with the whipped cream, um, piped on top with like gummy bears and a few other elements on it. So the, the ice cream cone is the OG. Wow. Oh, I love that we're finding this out. This is why I have a podcast. <laughs> um, so when you're doing that and you're piping the whipped cream, the porcelain whipped cream, are you thinking I'm a genius? Like, were you uh, so happy? I, I didn't, I did not think I was genius. <laughs> I just still don't think I'm a genius, <laughs> but, um, but thank you for saying that. Um, I, I just felt like, Hey, this is what I really wanted to make. Like it all just clicked yeah. for me. And I was like, oh my gosh, this looks, this looks right. And then like I, in the beginning, I thought I was going to actually glaze these things too. Mm. But after I spent so long meticulously arranging all these pieces, I'm like, ooh, the, the, the white is very peaceful and sugar is white. Yeah. Ref refined sugar, specifically refined sugar that we're all so addicted to. Yeah, that's the problem. Like, though. That's the problem one. Yep. That's the problem one. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, this all fits in the narrative. White is the color for, you know, it's, you know, when you're, when someone dies, you wear, you know, white to a funeral in Chinese culture. And I'm thinking, oh yeah, that's, that's the peace part. That's the piece wow. part I've made with, you know, this death of not trying to not eat sugar. And so it all just kind of clicked together. And I was like, no, nope, I'm not going to glaze anything. I was going to say, did you try glaze? Did you ever try? I, and did oh, you? Oh, yeah. And you hated it? I tried. And I was like, this doesn't look right. This is not yeah. it. This is, this, is, this is not it. So that's why I it didn't glaze anything. And I loved it because then I can spend all my time obsessing about making the details into the work 
Yeah. And you do because the detail <laughs> is insane. I think the first things I saw were the Mason jars with the Oreos on them and, but you know, all in white. And it's just like, what is this thing? Yeah. Your detail is just bonkers. Well, I did, I did make the Mason jar candles also when I had the candle line, I didn't mold an actual Mason jar and I made that. I don't, I like that. I'm not, I feel like it was kind of a design decision that I just, I mean, a big part of the whole Brooklyn culture are like, you know, Mason jars, that whole aesthetic. Yep. That homey aesthetic. And I also was obsessed with looking at what they call freak shakes or those crazy milkshakes that they yep. go, like they just put all this crazy stuff on top of this milkshake. That like was like a whole thing in in food culture at the time. And so that's how that piece came about is me trying to mimic this one food trend uh, that yeah. was just so visually appealing on Instagram. And I just thought, hey, this this is this is the perfect vehicle to try to share this addiction. Because I mean, I mean yeah. Instagram, Instagram is also another addiction. So it's it, right. like kind of kind of all rolls into one giant addiction ball. Right. And nobody needs one of those crazy shakes. Nobody needs that much <laughs> I we have friends that own an ice cream shop down on the lake from, from us and they do make crazy shakes in the summer and they've got like a piece of cake on top and then whipped cream and then like candies. And we do go and get them for my son's birthday because you know, how can you not? It's fun. But um, yeah, no, no one human needs that much sugar (laughs) in one one intake. And it's kind of cool because mad Brooke, like being mad about it, like obsessed with it totally still fits yeah it's it it all kind of comes together which is why you know I know I moved to Tucson now I know that's why I was like wait she's in Arizona what's happening (laughs) okay but so so you've got your candles you're selling at craft fairs and things like that when was the first like gallery show like these are now sculptures it's not a craft sale like how did that happen yeah so I I mean when I was making these sculptures I didn't even think I, I had zero, like, I didn't even think about, oh, where am I going to put this? I just wanted to get all these sculptures out of my brain and into yes. play. So that's what I did. I was just making, 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 making. Oh, and, and I have to interrupt and ask yeah. when you were making, 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 were you still just go, you didn't have your own studio at the time? Like, were you still just going to those? Community yeah, meetings? I was still going to community studios. I had part-time design jobs. Like yeah. I was kind of juggling all of that okay um, at that time but since I was freelance designing I had more time to kind of manage the buckets yes yeah yeah so that allowed me to kind of just spend a few days full on week right on developing that right so you're making them making them not thinking I'm going to approach a gallery you're just making them because you have to yeah I, I think it was in the back of my head like oh I would love to show these eventually but like that wasn't really my main concern I feel like I needed to have everything out before then Mm -hmm. and so um this guy I was dating at the time his friend's friend had a gallery and was doing the affordable art fair and I think he showed him my work and like we met and I think that was in 2018 when I had 
like the first show is to be in this booth part of the um, affordable art fair in New York. So I just kind of like slipped into it. And what was the reaction from people at that? It was really great. It was like um, more than I can ever ask for. I mean, while I was making it in the community studios, I had exposure from other friends and artists who saw the work and they're just like, this is so crazy. This is making me feel all the feelings. I'm angry. I'm sad. I'm excited. Like, what is this? This is so insane. I can't stop staring at it. And I was just like, oh, wow, I think I've got something here. And then when I, when I did the art show, talking to people and their reaction to it and, you know, also connecting everyone that was drawn to the work also kind of was like, oh my gosh, yes, the sugar addiction. I get it. So that's when it kind of like allowed me to think, hey, I am tapping into a very special place in someone's emotion because, you know, what I'm going through, a lot of people are going through. Mm-hmm. And this is a phenomenon in, in our culture now where everything is in sugar and it's really hard to avoid it. Mm-hmm. And that's when I was like, oh, I got to keep doing this. Yes, she does have to keep doing this. So... My next question is going to be to ask if she's a full-time artist now or if she's still freelancing, which I thought was a perfect segue to talk about my lovely sponsors this week. So this is just a guess, but I have a feeling a lot of freelancers have a Storyblock subscription because here's the thing. When you're doing things on your own, budget is almost always something you have to think about. Granted, when I worked for an ad agency, we still had to get pretty creative with finding assets that did not break the bank. Anywho, whether you're a freelancer, an in-house designer, or you're just working on a personal art project, having access to affordable, beautiful content ain't a bad thing. Storyblocks has affordable subscriptions, unlimited downloads of photos, music, and video, and they work with a diverse group of creators who are making inclusive content for you to affordably download. Full circle moment. To learn more about Storyblocks, visit them at storyblocks.com slash A-F-Y-E, as in art for your ear. All right, let's jump back into this conversation with Jacqueline. She had that sugary aha moment in 2018, and so I wanted to know if she's still freelancing or if now, in 2021, she's made the jump to full-time artist. Let's find out, shall we? And so... Are you still freelancing design or are you full-time art now? What's going on? I am trying to do the full-time. That is why I moved. That is why I had to leave New York. So like it came a time. So in 2019, actually, I, in 2019, I was still bouncing. I was still doing the community studio. Oh, wait, actually 20, is it 2019? Oh my gosh, I don't know what year it is. Yes, in twenty in twenty nineteen, I moved out from a community studio and I went into um, a more smaller shared space. And my friend at Dave Kim the Potter, he had a studio space and he had like a you know he was looking for for someone to share it with. And that's when I went in and kind of had this partial, okay. this like semi semi-private space for me to have more time to kind of experiment on my work but I still had to balance my freelance gigs because you know I've got my 
because of my job before I still had a mortgage because I had bought this apartment in in Brooklyn thinking that you know I was going to stay working and be able to financially afford an apartment and then and then on top of that I had a studio that I had to rent that was more expensive now and I think six months into it I'm like wait I'm taking all this freelance design job just to pay for all of this stuff to juggle the two and it's like something's got to get like this is this is not sustainable I have Mm. to do something and I remember I recently just looked at a journal entry I wrote in late 2019 and it said I have to get out of New York that was like the one thing I wrote to myself wow and like a year later to the day like I was sitting in Tucson Wow. So, <laughs> so why Tucson? I, cause I went to Tucson's famous for their gem show every um, January, February. And I had visited Tucson for the first time, I think in 2010 for the gem show when I was working at Avon. And I just thought the city is beautiful. The mountains are just so calming. It's right next to California where, you know, I have friends and family. Mm-hmm. Like this is the perfect place for me to sort of build my own residency in a way. Like yeah. I, you know, I have, I rented a house where my landlord so graciously allowed me to put in a kiln in the garage and have my studio in the back room of the house. And so I was like, this is, this is perfect. Like what I'm paying now for this house is half of what my mortgage was. And it's just (laughs) this one space. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to sell my New York apartment and just up and go. And just like, and just put all like, just invest in myself for the next couple of years and just do this. And so that's what I'm in now. Oh my God. That's just gave me goosebumps. That is very <laughs> exciting. And were you <clears throat> terrified slash excited or just excited or like that? You've been there for a long time. I was in New York for 18 years. Yeah. And when you're in New York and you're sucked into all this exciting stuff, like there's always, there are always openings, there are always concerts, there's always parties. There's like such a big social aspect of being in New York and I'm thinking I can't I can't be here anymore like you're always just being drawn and sucked into doing something else Mm. that I need to step away from that and just be in my own cave for a little bit because if I keep staying in New York I'm just gonna keep like working yeah, the hustle won't, the hustle won't the hustle, stop. The hustle yeah. does not stop, exactly. Yeah. So I'm like, I just got to eject myself from, from that equation and just like build it, build up exactly what I want. So I did, a, it was a lot of journaling that yeah. led me to all of this. <laughs> Good for <laughs> you. That is so exciting. So you got there, did you get there in 2020? Yes, I moved during the during the pandemic. Oh my god! I mean, selling I the my apartment was listed on the market one week before the shutdown in March of 2020. So I was like, "Shit, uh, can I sell this apartment?" 
<laughs> and did it sell fast, I take it? I mean, I had an offer the first weekend, but it was lower than asking. And I was like, mm, no, I don't think I, I no, no. Yeah. I, I like, I, I need more, but you know what? I had to wait. I had to wait until October and I sold way under asking, oh but it was God. the time. I mean, it was just like being, being in New York, being quarantined in your apartment. I was like, I mean, that was a great way for me to say goodbye to my first apartment. Right. Just being quarantined in it for <laughs> really, a long time. Really enjoy every corner. Yeah. <laughs> like I was like doing yoga like every day in the living room. I was like spending time like on my, on my terrace. I was like, okay, like, I'm like, okay, I'm ready to go now. I'm really ready to go now. <laughs> yeah. And so in, yeah, in October, I finally sold. I mean, I still made good money, which allowed me to do what I'm doing now. So I made a profit on the apartment, just not as much as I wanted to. Right. But like, like it's the pandemic. I don't want to be greedy. I'm like, I'm just going to take this offer and, and, go. and go. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. So you get to Tucson in the middle of the pandemic. <laughs> Was it kind of nice actually? Did you just sort of hunker down and just start making stuff in your... Yeah. It's yeah. amazing. I mean, I... I, I basically set up that studio in like a month, I think. Yeah. In less than a month. Like I, I moved in, bought all my furniture, um, ordered all the stuff. It was really hard to get a kiln during the pandemic too. Oh, I was got nervous. I got nervous thinking I wasn't going to get one. And then of course, like the store, they just had the exact model I wanted. The one, they only had one kiln and it was oh the one I wanted. The, the scut. The scut kiln, the 27 inch height. And I was like, this is a sign. The universe, <laughs> the universe was like, this is all what you're supposed to be doing. This is yes. all the things. Oh my God. I did not realize this was all so recent. Like mm-hmm. from watching you, I'm like, oh, she's just this full-time artist who's been making uh sugary porcelain for years and years. And then it's just this is this is why we have the podcast to find out these crazy <laughs> stories. I have a question. Yeah. Now, this is like a derailer question for your work, but would you ever incorporate gems into your work now that you're in Tucson and you can go to the gem show? Yeah. I mean, that is a very good question and not a segue at all because as a jewelry designer, yeah, I had made some pieces that have skulls, gem in the eyes, <gasps> crazy stuff. But obviously, I love working in real gold, and that stuff is very expensive. Right. <laughs> so I have to take a pause on that. But yes, I do want to go back into jewelry making, and not just any jewelry making. I want to make a very specific, one of a kind, amazing, elaborate pieces. So that is on my radar someday, but I think right now I'm still going to focus on the show. So I'm hoping 2022 yeah. will be the year where I have that opportunity. I am going to actually rearrange my garage when I get back to Tucson after the show and kind of have a jewelry bench, like a metal space. Oh, like I, that's that's, so that's in the plan already. I'm already planning all of that because I still have some tools and um yeah but could you like what I meant was could you embed 
could you put gems into the porcelain? Does that work? Oh, that I, yes. You know what? I can do that also. I you know, imagine I that, but it would have to, that's weird though, because although doesn't this show have some color in it? Yes, this show does have some color, actually yes. a lot of color. It's half color and half white. Okay, because I saw that on your Instagram and I was like, what? What's going yes. on here? So during the pandemic, because of all this pandemic baking and me relapsing into my sugar addiction, I mean, the, I mean I'm sure you remember when the pandemic first started, people were just hoarding food at the grocery store. Yeah. And like, no joke, I was like, I need to get Oreos. I need to get ice cream. Like, that's what I was buying in March of 2020. And I'm thinking, this is a problem. This is not okay. We're trying to keep our bodies healthy here. Like, we should only be eating healthy foods. But here I am, like, just like. Comfort, comfort, comfort. Yeah, comfort I think foods, everybody right? wanted the comfort so much. Yeah. So I was just baking a lot. I was like, I was baking pastries. I was buying Oreos and ice cream and anything I can get my hands on, hosted cupcakes, whatever. <laughs> and like that kind of like all those emotions in me became, it was like a nightmare. That's why I titled the show, My Candy Nightmares. And so when I was trying to put these feelings into sculpture, I thought, okay, this visually needs to be so far away from the controlled detail white pieces I have, it needs to be the complete opposite of that. And that's how I kind of just started sculpting. I was like, okay, I'll, it's ice cream monsters. They're just gonna be all like dessert monsters. And they're all gonna have so much color because that's what gets you addicted to your phone, your smartphone are all these bright colors that you're seeing on the Instagram, Pinterest, and all this crazy, beautiful desserts out there. And so this is how I'm going to do it. And yeah, I just started experimenting and just playing around with this new visual language. And that's what the new show is about. It's kind of this duality of like, the main piece is a self-portrait of two of me. One side is, you know, the white the white part of me and it's, you know, my bust decaying, there are cracks and fractures everywhere I'm falling apart. And like, and it's me grabbing onto the ice cream monster, eating it. And it's like me as an ice cream monster and me as like the peaceful Jacqueline who thought she had her sugar addiction in control. <laughs> and that's like the piece that ties it together. And so one side of the gallery, you're going to have all the ice cream monster, all the demons I've been battling during the quarantine. And the other side is like, you know, my white pieces of like, okay, Jacqueline, chill out, you know, chill out with the Find sugar. the calm, Re yeah. Find the calm. Remember why you made these calming white sculptures. Wow, that's so awesome. And was it so fun to like, to bring in the color after being oh, just yeah. all white for so long? Yeah. Totally. I mean, I, I mean, I have a little bit of OCD in me in in the control part. So it was really, really fun to just let it go and be like, don't worry about the detail. Don't worry about the meticulous refinement of everything just sculpt with your bare hands like like oh, form so and just like awesome. put clay together with your fingers instead of this control and that was just 
it was very freeing to be able to kind of like work in a different way. From well, and you've done such years. a neat job of like, because a lot of people worry, right? When they want to take a huge departure from something they're known for, right? But what a yeah. smart way to do it in this show where it's like, you've got the dichotomy of it, right? It's like, don't worry, here's the stuff that you know me for. And here's yeah. this crazy other thing. Like it's kind of, it's a really smart way to marry them. Thank you. Yeah. And I think it's it's a hundred percent because of the quarantine time that I'm just sitting in my apartment swinging back and forth emotionally like that. Yeah. And so many really people felt that. Yeah. I'm sure people will completely get that because, um, yeah, I was the same, but with chips. Oh, I uh, love chips. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a salty kind of gal. And so, um, yeah, chips became like a serious problem for me. Um, oh. because I, well, this is, this is kind of sad, but I will tell this true story. Okay. So mm. same thing. I was eating chips. Like I've all chips have always been my go-to when I'm sad or when something good happens, like they're my celebration and my okay. wallow, right? Like, and a lot of people that's yeah. sugar for a lot of people, but for me it's mm-hmm. chips. and, but I don't just, I have to get like a family size bag. I don't want to waste my time with like a, like an individual packet. Like it has to, like, if I'm going to do it, wow. it's going to be big. And I yeah. eat it all to the point where I feel kind of sick. And I swear I'm oh. never going to eat chips again until the next emotional crisis hits. And then I want more chips. Okay. That's yeah. not healthy. That is not, that's emotional eating. So mm-hmm. I was like, okay, I need to figure this out because in my twenties and thirties, I could do it and burn it right off. In my 40s, I cannot. <laughs> the chips right. land in the abdomen area and just stay right there. So, <clears throat> okay, this is like too much information. But so I, I found this binge eating group on Facebook <gasps> and I joined it because I was like, there's got to be psychology behind this. Like, what, why am I doing this? And the first video I watched by the woman that runs this group was like this huge aha moment for me. So again, way too much information. <laughs> no, I, so I, I, have, I have anxiety. I'm on medication for anxiety. I have been for about eight years. <clears throat> it does wonders. But of course, I still like, you know, when my dad died or like the pandemic or, you know, when big things happen, it's like the anxiety rears its head, right? And my yeah. go-to is food which is the same for a lot of people, right? That, that comfort yeah. and whatever. So um, unfortunately mine comes in the, uh, like a family size bag and a big tub of dip. So um, the first video I watched in this group, she said, the thing with that kind of eating is that um, it's, it's not actually about the food. It's an anxiety release. So mm-hmm. Like I'd plan all day. I'd be like, I'm going to eat these chips. I cannot wait. Like I'm going to do it when nobody else is home. And I'm just going to like, I'm going to watch my true crime and eat these chips. And I would think about it all day. And then I would get to that moment. I would crack open the bag and I'd put that first chip in my mouth and it would get this just like complete relief. Right. And she said, it's not that chip or that bite of cake or whatever that's giving you the relief it's that buildup of anxiety and being like i'm finally alone with this food that i want and it's just like 
Oh, wow. I feel so much better. And what you're actually doing is letting go of the anxiety. It has nothing to do with what's going into your mouth. It's just the combination of it is this anxiety relief. But then you keep eating because you want that relief to continue, but it doesn't. Yeah. It, it doesn't continue. It really only works the first bite or two. And so now what I do is when I have that buildup of anxiety and I'm like, oh, I want chips. I can consciously go, well, hold on. I don't actually want the chips. I want a break from the anxiety. So mm. if I'm driving, like I'll unroll my window and take in some deep breaths or I'll go for a run or I'll go sit outside in the sun and just breathe for a minute because really what I'm craving, I'm not really craving the food. I'm craving a break from the anxiety that is built up in me. And it was like mm. the biggest aha moment ever because I'd always thought it was the chips that made me feel better. And it yeah. was not. Isn't that like a huge aha moment? That is really crazy. And it just, you know what? It just like clicked in my head. I'm like, that is why I love binge watching Netflix when I'm super tired and exhausted, especially watching the Great British Bake Off. Right. <laughs> because I like instead of me eating, I can just kind of watch this and it that kind of takes my brain off of that. Right. Yeah. And that's what you need is you need something else besides the relief that you get from a comfort food. The other thing she said was pay attention because she said you could probably eat three chips. And the, the release would be gone. You yeah. Got, the taste would be delicious. But by the fifth, sixth chip, it doesn't really taste good anymore. Mm. You know what I mean? You don't yeah. have to eat the whole thing. We've also been raised in a culture where you finish everything on your plate. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's just like, well, you don't have to. But, you know, so it's like, have those few bites, get that release, and then stop. And so... I think I needed the psychology around it because for me, yeah. I was like, chips are delicious, the end. And it was just really good to be like, well, hold on. There's like so much more that plays into this and just finding other ways to release your stress. And we are under so much, like so many people are under so much pressure, like financially or health-wise or like all the pandemic yeah. stuff of being alone. Like there's so much. And so if you can find another way, art making is a huge thing for me. Like and meditative art making. Like I talked about this in a podcast once about making my clay cigarettes. Oh, yes, yes. I, yes. Yeah, Those and are so it's, cool. It's so meditative because I'll just sit there for like hours and just roll out these little cigarettes. And there's, there's a process to it, right? You, then you have to let them dry. Then I tape them. Then I paint them. Then I, and so it's this, you can kind of just let yourself go. And so instead of eating, a big bowl of chips while watching true crime. I still put the true crime on, but I make the cigarettes ah. or, you know what I mean? So I'm giving myself something else to do that relaxes me. And, um, yeah, I have not eaten chips since the end of July. Oh, wow. Which is why there hasn't been a paint chips episode because I'm like, oh. it's a slippery slope, my friends. Oh, if I <laughs> no. Oh my gosh. That's why. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, what, you mentioned what's really interesting to me that you mentioned about just eating like two or three chips to satiate that part yes. of your brain. But how do you like put a break on that? Like, how do you, how do you stop yourself from like, Hey, I'm going to creep back into the cabinet and open this bag and take a few more. 
I know I have to I just have to think about that lady's video I have that video bookmarked oh my gosh I think I I think I need to to watch this video I need to join this group (laughs) it really really helped because I just I think I love psychology and I love like when I when I went through all the anxiety stuff and finally caved and like tried the medication it was like oh yeah this is actually like a science thing right like and when I can apply the science thing to all of my emotions because you know I'm a pretty roller coaster emotiony typical artist you know passion filled up and down when I can actually apply the science to it and be like Oh, I don't sneak back into the cupboard. Be- well, first of all, I'm, I'm just not buying the stuff because if it's in the cupboard, I, then I know that it's there and I think yeah. about it too much. So I just try not yeah. to buy it. But if it is in the cupboard, it's like, well, hold on. I already have that relief. I'm not going to get that relief again because that's what happens with binging and whatever. You go back and you want, you, it's not that you want another bite of the cake so much. It's that you want that relief from the stress you're feeling or the, anxiety you're feeling or the, you know, whatever the pressures from work, like you're looking for an exit strategy um, using the food. And so I like, well, I already had it. Like I know that I'm not, even if I go back for more chips, I'm not going to get that same chemical release in my brain. Like it's just, it hasn't built up again. It's not built up enough to get that release back. Wow. I know. That was a That's, major segue, but uh, no, it's an amazing it's huge segue. For, it's been huge for me in the last few months. Just you know, and, and so what happened the other day? Oh, <laughs> we had a really bad week, and a whole bunch of stuff happened, and our basement flooded, and our car broke down, no. and like it was like all like all of these costs all at once, and oh. it was just this crescendo of crap. <gasps> and um, my first thought was. Oh, I'm I'm going straight to the grocery store. <laughs> like that's, yeah. what, that's what's happening here, and um, and I thought, oops, and then I thought, no, Danielle, I don't need to do that. And so I went and sat in our backyard. It was a sunny day, and I just sat in a lotus position, and I just did some deep breathing. And then I thought that wasn't fully working. So then I went down to the studio, and I just started cutting out stuff. And I was like, ah, there. And I avoided wow. the whole, I, I got to come down from the anxiety rush, like from that like panic yeah. rush. And I came down another way instead of, you know, stuffing my face. And, uh, it, uh, and I was so proud of myself. I even posted it on my little Facebook group page. You guys, wow. listen to this. And I got a whole bunch of little <gasps> applause from everybody. Oh my because, gosh, yeah. I'm applauding you now. That is, I'm so proud of you that you <laughs> did that. And now you've built this habit in your brain you're like building that neural pathway and it's just going to get stronger and stronger that's what I'm trying yeah. it'll become easier and easier for you yeah and I I mean that's why I, this is such a weird like I feel like it's way too much information and it's so off topic from um an art podcast but I don't know it really helped me maybe it'll help other people and it's so interesting that your work is all about this and I think especially yeah. in the pandemic and like some cities are still pretty lockdown and stuff depending on where you live and whether you know the vaccination rates and all that stuff so people are still under a lot of pressure and um you know if you can find a way out of that stress whether food is your crutch or alcohol is your crutch or whatever is your crutch if you can find other ways to get that relief and kind of feel like let the panic subside some other way like you know and i i often like my thing during the pandemic my aha moments were about um, 
art and realizing that this superpower that artists have to be able to, to translate what they're feeling into their artwork, right? Like mm-hmm. for you, you know, when you were saying like you came out of school and you're like, I don't really have anything. I don't know what I need, want to say yet. Um, yeah. But when you hit that moment where you're like, ooh, I know what I want to say. Um, what a superpower to be able to channel that into artwork that can hopefully speak to other people and, you know, have them get it, you know, and have it, have them apply it to their own life. It's, it's a really powerful superpower. And you're it doing is. it. I am really happy that I like, I mean, it took a while, but you know. Yeah. And good things always do, I think, you know, and, um, but like paying attention to that dream you had and actually not, not just going, oh, that was a weird dream, but like acting on it, you know, yeah. that's the thing is the acting on it. And I also love when you like the fact that you did try glaze because that's what you're supposed to do with porcelain, right? That you did try mm-hmm. it and you were like, no, it's not right. You know, <laughs> like, I, I love that, like that experimentation and the playing around and allowing yourself to try different things. And, um, but yeah, using it to, to tell a story that you want to tell that hopefully resonates with other people. It's super powerful. Yeah, totally. Um, so this show, okay, this, yes. th- this episode will already, the show will be a week old. Um, so people can come and see your monsters. Yes. <laughs> people of Portland or people anywhere Portland. near if you want to yeah. drive in, the show is going to be up till November 14th. Oh, good. At Talon Gallery. And also, um, and then some pieces will flow into their other, their next holiday show. Um, after Thanksgiving. So yeah, I forgot about Thanksgiving. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so yes, my work will be, will be there. So, you know, and it's on Instagram. I'll have it on my website. It will be on Talent Gallery's website. So if you physically cannot see it, you can also experience it online as well. So we will be posting videos so you can go to you know, my Instagram, Matt underscore Brooklyn.com. I mean, I'm sorry, Matt underscore Brooklyn is Instagram yeah. or uh, mattbrooklyn.com is also my website. I will also have some of those and then also talentgallery.com or at Talent Gallery is their Instagram. Awesome. So and I'm going to put all, all of that in a great big post in the show too. Notes. Yeah, yes. yeah. So that people can yes. just go and click, click and buy. Yes. Um, do you have, so again, I had no idea that this... <laughs> Like, I just thought you were this, like, you'd been doing this for years. So do you have more shows lined up? Because it seems to me from stalking you on Instagram that you always have something going on. Like you're always part of some show or something's always happening. I am so happy you're saying that because somehow, (laughs) like, somehow things just kind of, you know, pop up. Like, for example, I think, I think, I, I think you feel like I've done stuff for so long because a year into me making this, I was approached by these editors in France because they were writing a book about contemporary ceramics and they had found my work on Artsy and they reached out to me and they wanted to feature me and they did an interview. And so I like a year into going back into ceramics, I was published in this contemporary ceramics book in France and it just got translated into English and it's being published and it was published in England last year. So the English version came out from Thames and Hudson. Wow. So I was kind of like, what, how did this happen? And then I also was 
part of the Faenza Biennale last oh. year, which unfortunately I couldn't ship my work and show it in Italy because of the pandemic. So it was an online version of the Biennale, which uh. is actually now a book also. So I think that's why you feel like, oh, you've been doing all this stuff, but. Well, I can't even imagine what you're going to be able to do when the pandemic's over. If you've done all of this during this like insane time, just like imagine now that like you're in Portland, you're actually going to be at the opening. It's so exciting. And like, who knows what's coming next? Who knows? I mean, this is my first solo show in person of my work. So it's so exciting. I'm like nervous. I'm excited. I'm all these feelings. I like, I just, I can't even eat. Like, I'm just so excited. It's crazy. Oh my God. I wish I was there. I, that would be so fun to yeah. be there in person. Oh my gosh. Um, I wonder, um, Italy would be such an amazing place to see your work with the skulls and everything. Mm-hmm. So hopefully, I mean, some, okay. I'm, Hong I'm Kong, hoping, Italy, what's yes, our list? Like France, <laughs> Japan, France. Japan, like any, any, like everywhere. Yeah. I, I, I wanna, I mean, I guess, do you know what? This is a good segue for me to talk about this other project I'm working on that I'm super passionate about. So I, so my ceramics professor, Judy Schwartz at NYU that nurtured me into my ceramics career. She, um, she is part of the International Academy of Ceramics. She's the vice president of that academy. And she, during the pandemic, she, I think actually this was birthed before the pandemic, but during the pandemic, I was brought in to help her with this vision of this website, this new platform called Ceramic World Destinations, which is under the International International Academy of Ceramics. And it's kind of like a database for all ceramic things to live on. So it's like a map with points where, you know, if you're a ceramic artist and you want to find out where all the residencies are around the world, you can just click the drop down filter, click residencies and voila, you've got a whole list of residencies you can apply to. All that information is at your fingertips. And so like when Judy told me about this project she's working on, I was like, I would really love to help you with that. And like, I guess that's when my design background kicked in. And so like I, like I was helping her with her web designer when we were developing this platform, I was testing wow. it also with her. And I'm like, okay, oh, we should have this here, this is going to be, you know, this looks like this is going to be a great tool. And, you know, I'm so happy that she, you know, had this idea and I'm so happy that she also brought me in now for us to kind of bring the ceramic art world into the 21st century online. Like if you're an artist, you can submit on there to be listed as a destination. So, you know, you can, you know, help, you can help other artists, like this platform is helping artists, it's helping galleries be seen, it's helping residencies, like there's all these resources that we are working to gather on this one site. Because in the beginning, when I first started working in clay again, when after I took the hiatus, I'm like, where am I going to find a ceramic studio? Like, I know there's Google and stuff, but it's really helpful to have this vetted database 
that, you know, any artist can go on as a resource. That's amazing. So, is it already up? Or are you still- it's already up. We, we, we launched earlier this year in spring. Oh. So it's already up, but the database is continually building. So if anyone who's listening out there who owns a gallery that shows ceramics um, or you're an artist that makes ceramics and you want to be listed on there, you know, you can, I'll, I'll give you all the information so you yeah. can list it on your show notes. So artists like gallery owners, experts, museums, anyone who wants to be listed, you can submit yourself on there. And I'm the administrator on the back end, you know, <laughs> making sure all this information is correct. And then I post it onto the database. Um, so so I, I'm so awesome. excited to yeah. be able to, I mean, especially in this world, like in the pandemic, world where you can't travel, like this is kind of nice place to kind of like, oh, if you just want to look at ceramic art from this one country you can go on here and just find out where are the galleries and then you could be put in you know then you can access their website or or you know if they have an instagram then you can there's just more ways yeah. for ceramics to connect within each other around the globe and that's so awesome you know because i started the i started joe's curator 12 years ago and i feel like when i started and maybe it was just my viewpoint but it seemed like I've always loved ceramics. I've always been sort of obsessed. I probably because I don't know how to do it. Um, and it just seemed like this magic mystery to me. And when I started, it felt like ceramics were sort of in this weird folk craft category. And it seems like in the last 10 years, suddenly you're seeing amazing ceramic work in the white walled galleries and in the museums. And it's not just relegated to craft, it's become quote unquote, fine art. And um, yeah, yeah. Is, is that just me? Or is that true? It's, I, it's true. I mean, I feel like that's also what I, you know, I'm trying to get into too. I think the frustration for me is that like ceramics sometimes seen as a folk thing, and it's not part of the fine art world. And right. it's like, why can't sculptures be sold at the same level? as a painting yeah like I yes. just feel like that's a disconnect but it, we're we're slow I feel like the art world's slowly moving towards that way and like I do have connected with a lot of um, collectors in the past few years that really you know agree and they are you know they love buying sculptures and right like and I think like having that hub too that you guys have created um, so that you can see all of this work and all of these galleries that are carrying it makes it more yeah. like puts it into that category, you know, that this is legit and collectible and all of these things. Yeah, totally. I mean, it, like, it's not, it's also for anyone who just loves ceramics. If you're yeah. traveling to a city, you can go onto this thing, this database and just find out, oh, what can I see yeah. while I'm in this country, which is going to be so awesome. Good for you. That is amazing. And isn't it cool to when, when like years later, you get to work with a teacher that you loved so much in yes, a different capacity, um, you know? Totally. Yeah. It's, it's just, I can't even. <laughs> I, when I'm I moved so back to my, it. when I moved back to my hometown, um, one of the first people I ran into was my old drama teacher and, um, Mrs. Bevan. And uh, I've done a bunch of projects with her and stuff now that I've been back in town. Her name's Linda. And she's like, can you please, like, she's like, you're almost 50. Can you please just call me Linda? And I'm like, no, you will always be Mrs. <laughs> Bevan. Like, I can't. She's like, oh. But I can't. And then she came to a, a workshop I taught a few months ago. And I was like, and Mrs. Bevan is here. And she's like, oh my God, it's Linda. Just call me Linda. I can't. 
he's my teacher. She's Miss Bevan. I, and I love working with those people now that I'm a grown up. You know, it's, it's just like it's so fun to be to partner with them and stuff. And I think this is so great that you guys have done this. Thank you. Yeah. So every, everyone out there, you can help out. It's, it's yeah, a collaborative it. effort for all everyone around the world. That's the best part. Yeah, I love it. And I've interviewed so many ceramic artists on this podcast because of me being obsessed. Ooh, so yes, yeah, I do so not have a kiln. I'm just working with my little air dry clay right now. But the dream is to one day have a that's kiln. That's right. We did yeah. email each other about this. I really hope, I'm really, really hoping that you will be able to fulfill that. <laughs> yeah, me too. Oh yeah, did we message about my hundred year old house? Did I yes, tell you that? Yeah. Yes, I'm a little yes. nervous we might I mean, burn it down. I mean, I... A sort of a similar situation for me. I mean, not the burning down part, but the old house part. I mean, I the house I'm renting was built in 1939, and it's. I mean, it's an adobe house, so it's it's really cute that I'm making clay inside a clay house. So I don't have to worry about burning anything down because the house is very sturdy. But like because it's an older house, I only get a certain amount of amps wired in from the outside. So right. I gotta like make sure that, you know, I have all my energy usage in the house evened out in a certain way. Oh so it's it's fine now. I believe I can run my blender while the kiln is working. So, <laughs> so, so I've got that down. Like many, many trial and errors <laughs> like later after I realized, oh, you have to do math with electricity with voltage. <laughs> yeah, I've learned a lot of things I've learned. Oh, that's why we had to take <laughs> math in high school. I get it. I get it. Yeah. Now. So you gotta balance that out. So <laughs> um, okay, well, should we wrap things up with a not so speedy speed round? Oh yes, yes, yes. Okay. Um, well, as you're drinking your tea, I was gonna say coffee yes, or let tea. Me say, um, let me sip a take a sip of this. I think tea. the answer is tea. Coffee yes, or tea. I am yeah. a tea. I'm a tea person. I did work at Starbucks um, when I was in high school and I loved coffee. I would just have frappuccinos, espresso shots with whipped cream all day long when I worked at Starbucks. But then I just, I feel like I, I've been a coffee drinker for a very long time and I, during my design phase. And then after I got out of it, I feel like my body became sort of allergic to coffee caffeine. And so I get really like jittery and like blood's just jumping out of my skin and I get really like crazy if I drink it. So I can't drink coffee anymore, even though I love the taste. Okay. Well, there's a whole other series for you. Coffee <laughs> addiction with whipped cream oh on gosh. it. Yeah. Oh, oh so, so, so good. I know. Oh, Sorry. Do I don't mean to me. stir it all up for you again. It's okay. Okay. Now this might be a really hard question to answer. Favorite dessert. That is, this is an impossible question to answer. And it's a, it's a multi-part answer. And I go like, it's a, there's a big, there's a big range, right? Okay. Like highbrow, highbrow dessert. My favorite thing is Pierre Hermé in Paris. What does that even mean? It's, it's their, uh, I can't speak French, obviously. It's their macarons oh, are my favorite. Yeah. So Pierre Hermé is this French pastry chef and his macarons are my favorite. I mean, La Durée also is, comes in a close second, but my favorite is Pierre Hermé macarons. If do you have a flavor really that, fancy. do you have a flavor that's your favorite? Oh, yes. So my favorite flavor from them is something called Ispan, which is a lychee rose. Ooh, it is so delicious. I know rose can be kind of like, ooh, it tastes like perfume sometimes, but rose and lychee together is so wow. Delicious. 
That sounds so and amazing. and their chocolate passion fruit is also very delicious. So <laughs> okay, those are, those are my top favorites for that. For that. Okay, one. what's your lowbrow Oreos? My <laughs> Oreos, one of them, and just like any chocolate chip cookie or any soft serve ice, like the soft serve ice cream cookie from McDonald's. Like it could be a McFlurry, it could be a Wendy's Frosty, it could be anything <laughs> of that matter. Like uh, chocolate chip cookie, soft serve. Together or separate? Together actually would be really great too, but I feel like I usually eat it separately. Okay. Dairy Queen currently has a baked chocolate chip cookie with like chocolate goo in the middle and they serve it in a little bowl, their little plastic dish with soft serve. (gasps) Yeah, I've never been to Dairy Queen. What? Which is so crazy. I don't know why I've never been to a dairy queen before, but like, like, I feel like that needs to happen in the next month. Yeah. yeah and you need to get the baked cookie with the <laughs> thing because it's your two loves all together. Oh my God. Yes. It's right, really good. That's my son's go-to lately. Ooh. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for the suggestion. You're welcome. Um, <laughs> okay. I figured with your fashion thing and now that I know about your, your school uniforms and then being able to come to California, Favorite piece of clothing you've ever owned? And it could be something from childhood. It might be something from childhood. I don't know. But have, was there like... You, oh my gosh. Uh, well, my childhood, I have a couple, I guess I'll say the one from my adulthood and, and childhood. Okay. But um, childhood, I had this, I had a bunch of really colorful like sweaters and I had the sweater set from Benetton. (laughs) It's a knit sweater and knit sweater, knit skirt set. And it's like bright yellow with like, it looks like ice cream scoops, but they're just like spheres of color circle shapes woven into it. Oh boy. Into sort of like a rainbow. It's just like this multicolor thing. And I remember being in the store and like when my mom was like, okay, we'll get this for you. I was like on the table at the, the counter, just like hugging the sweater <laughs> set. And I'm like, I love this sweater set. And it's like, it's multicolored. And I'm like, I wish I still have this, but I, it's long gone now. But was I, that in um, Hong Kong or in California? That was in Hong Kong. Yeah. That was oh. in Hong Kong. Oh my God. I wish you still had it too. I'm sure I can find a picture of it somewhere, but like, that was like, like that just came to me when you asked this question. Yeah. Multicolored sweater yeah. that I was obsessed with. I had a sweater that was multicolored that had pom-poms sewn onto it, you know? Like rainbowy pom-poms actually right on the sweater. Oh my god! Like those little puffy sleeves, you know, the little like. Yeah. I could probably find that again now <gasps> online. I bet. But I that thought it was amazing. everything. Yeah, I thought it was everything. Okay, and then what's your adulthood one? Adulthood are these Vans white Vans high top sneakers. <laughs> yeah. And I like, I had to recently throw them away because they got just, they were so disgusting. I wore them like the last, I forgot how many years I had these, had these sneakers, but like the last year or two, like it's the skate high slim zip 
model which oh, I don't yes. really think they make them in the, they don't really make them in the white leather anymore that's why I like kept them for so long so the zipper doesn't even pull up anymore they just keep like they're like flared open in the back and <laughs> like they're so destroyed like because I wear them every day and they're cracked everywhere the sole has a hole in it it was wearing out and it just got to a point where I'm like these shoes need to go like they don't even protect my feet <laughs> <laughs> I threw them away I think last year and then now I have a new pair so like like similar ones it's they don't make the same ones anymore but Vans makes like I'm, I swear this is not a plug for this is not a plug for <laughs> Vans at all so this is like I just love Vans sneakers so it's they don't make the slim zip zip up oh I'm sorry is this my phone that's ringing Oh, <laughs> I turn it on silent. I'm so sorry. It's, That's okay. And and Google is telling me call from scam. Like like Google already knew this was scam. And, oh, <laughs> and it's still ringing. And I'm on Do Not Disturb. So I come on Google. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sorry, Google, Google. If you're making more Pixel phones, please make the new one not interrupt my podcast. <laughs> anyway, uh, anyway, sorry, sorry. I keep putting brands into your podcast. I really don't mean to. <laughs> But I guess that's that's, get extra money, maybe. Yeah, a lot of my work is about kind of this about capitalism too. So it's totally well. There now you can fill some vans with ice cream with a shot of espresso from Starbucks on the side. We can get this whole thing paid for in a heartbeat. Yes, yes, totally. (laughs) Um, Okay, I have two more questions. One, do you listen to anything while you work? Oh, yes. What do you yes, listen to? Yes, music or podcasts yes. or what? Everything. Music and podcasts. I bounce back and forth. Okay. From these two things. And do you do have a music? Because like, your can your music have words in it, or do you just like like do you like like no lyrics so that you can concentrate? Or I, you know what? It's really funny. There, like I go through phases. Like now that you talk mm. about music with words and music with outwards um like I definitely love music with words like I'm a big pop music I love pop music I live love indie rock and like like no like I love Taylor Swift like there would be days where I'm just blasting Taylor (laughs) Swift on repeat in my studio no shame I mean I'm kind of worried about you know my neighbors thinking I'm crazy But that does happen. Or like, you know, sometimes it might be like the Beatles channel and all I'm listening to the Beatles or all I'm listening to is David Bowie. I feel like it's, or all I'm listening to is like, you know, uh, like just one specific artist and it's just that all day long. And then I would hit that wall where I'm like, okay, this is enough. Like, for example, like like I also love bad fingers. So I would just have like bad finger on repeat. And then it gets to the point I'm like, this is this is too much emotionally. Like I gotta switch it <laughs> up. Okay, it's Taylor Swift time. Or like yeah. it's, there's a lot of bouncing back and forth. Yep. <laughs> Different genres of music. I'm the same way, but mine's TV because I have a, a TV in my studio. And so I just put Netflix on. And I really I love the true crime. I think that I'd be a detective in another life. If I could do it over, you know, like not the detective that has to show up. I don't want to like have to break down the door with a gun and have something happen. Oh, I want God. to come afterwards and mm. figure out. I don't want to get scared. So I just want to go afterwards and figure out the puzzle. So I will binge. I just have it in the background. So I'm not even watching, but I'm just hearing all the crime, crime, crime. And then I hit a crime wall. 
where I'm like, it's too much. I can't take any more of the crime. And then I put on like blockers or like um, book smart or like some ridiculous teen movie, mean girls, Mm, you know, that has a good soundtrack and it's just teen hijinks and then everything's okay again. Interesting. So did you binge like all of CSI or something? No, I like like, 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 um, Dateline, like 48 hours, 2020. Those are my, Oh, wow. I'm a really, Jacqueline, I'm a very complex individual. I love it. I love (laughs) finding all this about you. Oh God. Okay. Final question. Yes. Will you, or won't you go to voodoo donuts while you're in Portland? Um, hello, that is on my list of things to do in the next few days. You have no idea how many years I have bookmarked Voodoo Donuts on my uh, map. Right? It's like, <laughs> and then you can be like, you can just be like, look, it's research. I'm just, I'm just t- <laughs> taking photographs and like, I, I have to eat it just so that I understand so that when I make my art, I fully understand Absolutely. the experience. Yes. I mean, I think I am like a little scared to go because of the, uh, like, I'm like, am I going to buy, how many donuts am I going to buy? Right. The question. Right. (laughs) The other place to go is blue star donuts. Oh yes. It's really good too. I think that's also bookmarked. Yeah. Yeah. Those are my two favorite. Um, and I'm sure Portland people are listening going, no, no, you've got to go to wherever, but those are the two I know and that I've been to. And, um, yeah, they're both very, very good, but you have to go in the morning because like, I know I'm going to have to like, yeah, maybe this is what I do tomorrow morning. Yes. Um, Go set up your show today. Yeah. And then tomorrow morning I'll reward myself. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. And there's and also salt and straw ice cream. <gasps> yes. <laughs> oh, Which I still have not been. So I'm like, okay, these are the spots I have to hit. Oh my God. It's so good. Um, Lisa Go Lightly is a painter based in Portland. And I went to visit her uh, years ago for something for a show or I don't know what. And she took me there. <gasps> so, so you've been there. Good. But I didn't get the, the big fancy one that they had at the time was bone marrow ice cream. Ooh, and I was like, very strange, weird. Yeah. And then there's like, they have, especially right now, actually, at, um, at Halloween, I bet they'll have some really weird ones. Oh, I'm like very blood, excited. something like there's going to be something <laughs> weird, but I, I just got like, you know, chocolate, caramel, brownie, salted something explosion. And it was freaking delicious. So, um, yes, pace yeah. yourself. We don't want you in a sugar coma. Oh gosh, I'm I'm a little nervous about that. My stomach yeah. is going to be like screaming for help. I know you're just going to have to <laughs> you're going to have to have a little self control. I'll send you the uh, the Facebook group. You can, oh my gosh, you can go yes. watch the no, video. No, no, I'm serious. You need to send me the Facebook group because I feel like that's I need to join. I really need to okay. join that. I'm, I will. I'm glad you I'm glad you told me about it because I've been reading books about like emotional eating and stuff, and none of them. Same. I was Googling emotional eating. I was like looking at all the stuff and like nothing was striking a chord with me. And then I found this group and I was like, I watched like two or three videos and both of them were like, Oh, these like moments of like, of course. Anyway, I'll send it to you. Um, Okay. That's all the things you need to go. I've had you for almost two hours. We almost. Uh, 
I, yeah, I was, I mean, I was looking to set the record. I guess we came really close to it. So my dream did come true. Yeah. But you have to go and set up your show. Yes. Yeah. So you have to go. And, um, Skylar probably needs a pee break. She, yeah, she definitely does. I didn't (laughs) take her to the park today either. So that's going to happen. Okay. You better go do that. (laughs) Good luck with the show. This, of course, this episode will already, it'll be a week old by then, but I'm yeah. going to assume that the opening is a roaring success. And um, yes, and we'll put everything in the show notes so that even if people aren't in Portland, they can go and buy all of your amazing work and see what you've been up to. Amazing. Thank you so much, Danielle. This is like so, oh my God, you have no idea. You made my dream come true by talking <laughs> to you today on this podcast. My first well, I'm podcast just so- ever. I'm so glad that we finally did it. And I finally realized that I actually hadn't asked you. Sometimes I think people are like so cool and fancy that I'm like, oh, they'll be too busy to be on the podcast. So then I just don't even ask. And then people are like, I would love to come on the podcast. And so you were one of those people. So I'm so glad we finally did it. And um, I'm so glad I know all the behind the scenes. Thank you. I'm so happy to be able to tell everyone. And just so you know, I am not cool and fancy. You know, people listen to this and they want to DM me and ask me some questions, go ahead. Like, awesome. That is awesome. All right. Well, good luck with everything. And um, I will see you on Instagram very soon, I'm sure. Yes, totally. Thank you, Danielle. Have a great day. You too. Bye. Bye. Sugar Coma show openings and a super sweet Frenchie who needs a pee break. Now that is a full episode. Everything Jacqueline and I talked about is over on my site, thejealouscurator.com slash blog to find the actual post. Pop over there and take a look right now if you're not there already. Thank you so much to Jacqueline and Skylar, of course, for coming on the podcast. Thanks to Storyblocks for supporting yet another episode. And as always, thank you for listening. There will be a brand new episode of Art for Your Ear in two weeks. See you then.